Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Today, we bask in the light of mustachioed greatness. You ever wanted to be the coolest mofo in 1974? Well, I'm sorry. That's never going to happen, even if you have a time machine, because Billy D. Williams already did that. That is right. It is about damn time. We honored the legendary Colt 45 pitch pitch man (laughs) and actor Billy D. Williams and his stoic and hardly say many words performance in 1974's The Take. Because in the 70s, you just didn't really need to say that many words just to be a badass. Fuck it. It's a movie about crooked cops, badass music, and New Mexico. Like, what else can you ask for, right? Anyway, let's grab our Colt 45, throw on our Swedish... Le- Swedish? <laughs> our Swedish? <laughs> yeah, throw on our Swedish leopard print button-up and get ready to screw over the Paloma New Mexico Police Department because fuck them. Let's decide to work for a crime syndicate boss who wears pastel yellow-colored suits and thick-ass sunglasses because it's the 70s, baby, and we don't give a damn, 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 damn. Now play that shit theme song. It's the Mustachio Podcast, yo. We're ready for the show. We'll watch moves, we'll make some jokes, and then we'll all go home. Navigating the legendary hairy upper lips. It's the Mustachio Podcast, yo. What is up? This is your host of the Mustachioed Podcastio, Daniel J. Segura. And today, back to back, I bring you another solo tolo. That is right. You're getting two solo cellos back to back because I didn't bother scheduling anybody to be on the show the last two weeks because I have just been busy and I, I didn't know when I would have time to record. Both work and personal life gets a little crazy around this time. So it's just going to be me and you listening to the show right now. Hey, how are you doing? You having a good day? Is it the morning time and you're driving to work or... Maybe you're in the shower and you're trying to touch yourself, but you're also hearing my voice and I'm ruining it for you. Or maybe I'm making it better. Who knows? I'm pretty sure I'm ruining it for you. But um, either way, thanks for trying. I just want to tell y'all, you know, it's it's this this is the post New Year's episode. And um, just want to tell y'all thanks for listening to the show. this show isn't very old, but either way, it's been an awesome wild ride, and the show has, ma- has managed to at least have somewhat of a pretty consistent listenership, and I'm thankful for that. I think a lot has to do with the fact that um, I am a part of a little podcast group full of weirdos like me that just can't get enough of this for some reason, and I truly appreciate it. And we're going to have some really good guests coming up as soon as I book them. And, <laughs> and I promise that the show's only going to get be the same. I was going to say get better. It's just, it's going to be the same. I, I, uh, I'm get, definitely going to have my brother on more. He's going to be on uh, for a few episodes pretty, pretty soon. We're going to be covering a couple of movies that y'all would – I think y'all are definitely going to enjoy. I won't spoil them now, but – I kind of like talking buddy cop movies with my brother, so we're going to have some more 80s buddy cop movies because there's plenty of mustaches and plenty of fun. Um, and we have a, have a good time talking to him about that. I was just with him today. We went to go vi- uh, video game shopping. We were like looking for some old... I, I personally like to buy some old Sega games. I bought two Sega CD games today. He bought, I think, a Nintendo Wii game. I don't remember which one. I don't remember, but um, I think he'll be happy with it. I don't know if I'll be happy with these Sega CD games. At this point, I'm just buying garbage that I just find that. <laughs> like, I think I bought NFL, ESPN, football or something. 
And it was 20 bucks because it was like in the case. What's wrong with me? I fucking hate myself. The other game I bought was like, I don't even remember. It's like, who killed Johnny or something like that. I, whoever's like a big Sega CD fan, you know, it's like, who killed Johnny Two Balls or something like that. Johnny Two Balls, like, that's weird that you have two balls. <laughs> I think it would be more like Johnny One Ball um, if you happen to be in the mob and you have one ball. Anyway, today, <sighs> Jesus Christ, this is not going to be a long episode. I'm tired. I'm just running on fumes. Today we are talking... Hey there, fellow true crime aficionados. We are the host of Bad Axe Podcast. I'm Danielle. And I'm Aaron. Join us every Thursday for twisted true crime tales, bad deeds, and the supernatural. We've covered family annihilators, cold-blooded baby daddies, cannibals, and even people who blame zombies, ghosts, and voodoo for their bad acts. Bad acts. If you like fresh stories and new perspectives on crime, Bad Axe will be your new jam. Stay safe out there, you big baddies, and bye 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 What were we talking about? That's right. We are talking about The Take from 1974, which, by the way, you can just watch on YouTube, apparently. I was looking for uh, to see if I could rent it somewhere because I don't own this movie. But I was looking through Billy D. Williams' uh, uh, filmography. And I thought this was kind of cool. I thought, you know, mid-70s, one of his first lead roles. And I haven't seen a lot of Billy D. Williams films, but it's been a name that has come up several times to me from, from friends and listeners asking me, how have you had this many episodes? Like, you know how many times I hear that sentence and then a name after it? Like, how have you had this many episodes that have not talked about this person? I don't know, because you didn't talk to me beforehand to let me know. I didn't say I was an expert in mustachioed actors. I'm just trying to learn about them. So if you happen to have a mustachioed actor that I have not covered yet, and you haven't told me already about it, tell me. And I will add it to the list, just like I did Billy D. Williams. You know, he's more, you know, he's definitely famous for the Star Wars roles as a Carl Rizian. I don't know why I just refer to him as his first name, as I mean, just by his last name, but was it Lando? Lando Calrissian? I'm not even sure if I'm saying that last name right. I like Star Wars, but I just haven't said his name in a while, the character's name. Um, anyway, he's, you know, very famous for that. Oh, my God. I just had an ad pop up for security, and it's covering my fucking notes. Jesus Christ, this computer. <sighs> And I decided to watch the take. I like 70s movies. And you know what was best about this? The first few minutes. I'm talking the first, like, seven or eight minutes. I must have seen, like, eight or nine dope-ass mustaches that deserve their own show. Their own fucking episode. It was amazing. But, of course, Billy D. Williams' mustache is solid gold. It's, it holds true. I can't imagine this man without a mustache. I'm sure he's done stuff without a mustache, but... He just looks so fucking cool with it. Um, kind of like how Carl Weathers looks weird without his mustache. That, guy, that man was just made to have facial hair. I feel I feel the same way. Like when he was in Happy Gilmore, I was like, what the fuck? Put your mustache back on. Wait, I think he has a beard in that. <laughs> I could be wrong. I'll cut this out. Um, anyway... <laughs> One of the fun facts I really like about this movie is it's based on the 1970 novel Sir You Bastard (laughs) by G.F. Newman. It's a shame that this title has been taken because if I could write a book, I would love to have named it Sir You Bastard. Um... I think it's fun. (laughs) It sounds kind of like, Sir, you bastard sounds like something a British person would say. And I wouldn't be surprised if G.F. Newman is a British author. I'm not 100% sure. I guess I can check. I'm going to check. And yes, he is an English writer and television producer. It just sounds like something a British person would say. Sir, you bastard. Anyway. 
Um, yes, this movie stars, uh, uh, you know, a couple of names people would recognize, probably mostly the older audience out there. You know, you got your Frankie Avalon. He plays Danny James. You have Eddie Albert. That's a solid fucking two first name name right there. Um, he, he plays a Chief Berrigan who's just like tired old chief. Not the most exciting fun chief, that's for sure. This movie doesn't have much of a sense of humor to it. But you know who kind of brings a little bit of levity is Vic Morrow. I love Vic Morrow in this fucking movie. He plays Victor Manso. Basically, they gave him the first, same first name. Um, and, uh, and it was funny because I don't know why I was brain farting so hard. But when I first um, started watching the movie, I was like, God, Vic Morrow, why does that name ring a bell? Like, I know that name rings a bell. So I look, I look him up, and I'm like, "Oh, that's right." Back in the '80s, not too, you know, not too much long after this movie, uh, in '82, he is the man that died in the Twilight Zone, the movie. I'm sure so many of y'all have heard of this, that listen to this show, and some of y'all may not have heard of this, but yes, <clears throat> it's a segment directed by John Landis, and he he died in a helicopter crash with two children. Um. He was playing a Nazi in that movie, and I guess the director took it too seriously. <laughs> you know what? Die, Nazi! Uh, uh, is it too soon? No. Um, but Vic Morrow kicks ass in this movie. It honestly pisses me off that, um, you know, he probably had left a lot of films on the shelf because this guy did a lot of movies and seemed to say yes to a lot of <laughs> movies that maybe he didn't need to say yes to. Or maybe he just needed the money. I don't know. But he loved to work, it seems like, uh, just looking at his filmography. I wish he had a mustache. I would cover a way more Vig Morrow um, movies. Uh, he's just – he really just – he he's the life of this movie, to be honest. Everyone is kind of flat. Billy D. Williams is supposed to be very kind of silent hero guy, mysterious person. Um. We right away you get that vibe. Uh, the movie kicks off. We get the dope soundtrack. He's going to an airport from San. He's coming from San Francisco. We find out he's wearing that cheetah print, leopard print type uh, button up with the long collar, and he's wearing a, a a blazer with long, you know, big lapels, of course, because it's the seventies. He's looking like a damn badass. I gotta say, the guy it just looks like a leading leading man, kick ass fucking dude he goes into a plane there's that orange sherbet seating you gotta love like <laughs> they need to start they need to bring back orange sherbet as a <laughs> as a color for stuff well you can't just leave that in the 70s let's bring it back i kind of like it <sighs> so some generic businessman bothers him and he starts talking to him asking him asking him what what he's doing and and the guy seems kind of racist because like he asks him if he plays for the... He's like, I think I recognize you. Do you play for the Giants? <laughs> no, I'm just a black man, okay? I, I don't play for the Giants. What the fuck is wrong with you? Oh, you know that still happens to this day. Uh, so then we see... We get a little, We cut off to... We cut to some dudes, and they're all sitting down, and they're handcuffed, and there's some... So it looks like there's some cops um, from the courtroom. It looks like they're in front of a courthouse and the guys are just waiting or whatever. So we know there's like some court shit going on. That's what we see in the beginning of this movie. There's like court shit going on. Then we cut the Billy D. Williams traveling. We find out that he's going to Paloma, New Mexico. So we're going to get a lot of desert and dry land. <laughs> I actually personally kind of like New Mexico. I think it's a very misunderstood state. <laughs> I think a lot of people just think of like the the major cities there. And like, oh, it's like really bad. <laughs> But man, when you go out there in the wilderness of New Mexico, there's just something. I don't know. If, I don't know what it is. It's just beautiful. I love it. So fuck y'all that don't like it. Um, <laughs> there's a part where the business guy asks Billy D. Williams uh, what he's doing in Paloma, and all Billy D. says is "new job." And, he, and the guy goes, "Oh, well, what? What kind of new job?" And Billy D. Williams says, "Killing people." And the guy just like was like, okay, all right, whatever. So then there's this whole court courtroom scene, and these guys are getting patted down or whatever. And they get in there, 
we get some weird music cue, I guess, to show us that bad things are about to happen. It's just like a trombone doing like a little, I don't know, like a little flare down or like, like it's just really weird. We meet the Honorable Max Fernandez, who is the judge uh, here in this Paloma, New Mexico courtroom. And I'm not going to lie, this guy looks like a Latino James Brown. And if you, I don't know, I'll see if I can post a photo or something, but on on a Instagram. But this guy looks like a Latino James Brown. It's amazing. Uh, you just got to see to believe it. And we have this uh, chicken little guy who's the lawyer, and he's questioning a dude about a break in that's going that that happened. That's why these guys are all arrested and being held on trial. They find out there was some weapons stolen in the armory, or we find out that they stole some weapons from an armory. And all of a sudden, this guy that had these like stilts on takes out a blade out of his shoe pocket, and and he stabs one of the guards or one of the cops, and uh, some other guys break into the courtroom and they start shooting, and basically it's a big escape. Um, there's all this shit going on. The guys are trying to get out of there, and Billy D. Williams and he uh, is with uh, Captain Frank, I think Dolan or I don't think it's Dolan. What is it? Uh, Dolick. Frank Dolick. And he's with Captain Frank Dolick, who's another big character in this movie. And they're heading to the courthouse. But then they see all this shit happening, and there's a big shootout that goes on. Billy D. Williams is out there. and I mean, it's his first day on the job. Like, basically, he's coming in as a, as a detective for the uh, police department there in Paloma. And first day on the job, he heads to a courtroom and has to start shooting dudes because he's getting shot at. And he manages to get he manages to shoot the driver, the getaway driver that they all get into like a laundry uh, kind of like a laundry van or whatever. And he shoots the driver. The driver crashes. They try to fight Billy D. Williams for a second, but he fucks him up pretty good. Um, I, they kill some of their other guys that were there to back them up. There was like a guy that kind of looks like Keanu Reeves if he was hit with an ugly stick, <laughs> and he he was like setting up a, a sniper rifle. Um, then we get like some lame discussion about there's like, I mean, right away, the movie lets you know, like Dolik is just this lame asshole. Cause like, he's just kind of talking about Paloma and he's like, yeah, there's a lot of Mexicans here. Like, nah, shit. You're in fucking New Mexico. Like, were you not surprised? And he's asking Billy D. Williams if he knows Spanish. And he's like, no. And Billy D. Williams mentions, yeah, I was in San Francisco and there was a lot of Chinese people there. And Dolik's like, do you know Chinese? And he's like, no. And I was like, great conversation, y'all. Thanks, writers, for keeping me interested in this movie. So then they go and um, they head back to the precinct and Billy D. Williams meets the chief of police, uh, played by Eddie Albert, like I mentioned. And he's all stressed out. He's a, he's a whole mood. Like, just this guy's face and everything is a whole mood. And he tells them, like, he's all regretting it because he's like, man, I had, you know, before I had put a bunch of cops at the courthouse and the people were giving me shit that I was being too paranoid and putting all these cops at the courthouse. So then I didn't send as many for this. And the guys that were, I guess, up, you know, that were in court on trial, I think they were, like, involved in the crime syndicate there in Paloma. And no one wants to believe that there's this huge crime syndicate in Paloma, New Mexico, but the chief knows that there's something going on. And so he was like, I should have put more cops there, blah, blah, blah. And then the chief mentions um, that the crime has increased and it's organized. And he says to Billy D. Williams, you know what? I might make this. I also want to say it because I might make this a quick impression. But he says, "Say I need you. You said a, you said of a bitch. I need what you know, what you can do. I would love it if I got a new job, and I'm such a fucking badass at that job that my grumpy ass senior director, or VP, or whoever hired me." Tells me that. I would feel so incredibly special. <laughs> Say I need you, you son of a bitch. I'd be like, fuck yeah, dude. I'm down for this. <laughs> uh, I hope one day, one day someone's going to trust me enough to give me a decent leadership position for their company.
some crazy person is going to let me do that. And I plan on saying that when I hire somebody that's worth a shit. So <laughs> after all that, uh, Billy D. Williams, I'm just going to call him Billy D. Williams because I just like saying Billy D. Williams, but he plays uh, Lieutenant Terrence Sneed. No one wants to say Sneed. It doesn't even sound like a real word. I know there's people that actually have that last name, but Sneed? What kind of asshole this? I guess it's from the books. They were stuck with whatever that name was. From the English. The, wait, that's not a more kind of Scottish. From the English writer. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm sorry. So then uh, Billy D. Williams hits up a uh, uh, home for exceptional children. It almost looks, sounds like my last name is the Saguaro House. <laughs> Maybe I have some cousins with the last name Saguaro instead of Segura. And uh, he meets up with this woman who kind of looks like Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Success, or Su- <laughs> wait, Duchess of Success, <laughs> Duchess of Sussex. I don't know. Anyway, you know Meghan Markle. She was in Suits. Um, honestly. Not even really that great in that show. And she became a duchess. You just never know when life's going to hit you and make you a duchess. Anyway, she kind of looks like her a little bit. Um, He's talking to her. And he's being so fucking serious. Like, you can't even really tell if they knew each other at first. You're, it almost seems like he just went up to a woman and just started talking to her. It's really fucking weird, but I think the movie's trying to tell us there's tension between them because I guess he, she knows what he does, it seems like, the way she's treating him. She knows he's not a straight-as-an-arrow kind of guy, as we will learn soon. So she asks if he transferred because of her or because someone else offered him a better deal. So right away I'm like, what, when I was watching this? Because I'd never heard about this movie. And I didn't look anything up for it. I was just watching it. So she's definitely salty, as I put in my notes. And um, then she tells him all this, right? Like in a very serious voice. And all he responds with is, you look so pretty. (laughs) No, like, retort. No, nothing. Just, you're so pretty. Then we go and we finally meet the man that makes this movie kind of fun now and then. We meet Victor Manso, played by Vic Morrow. And it's so funny because basically the money that he's going to be, that he offers to Billy D. Williams, he kind of like guides him to these little desert plants that he has on like a bookshelf. It's like all these different plants. He's like, isn't it New Mexico beautiful? It grows all, you know, it's, it's crazy how it's a desert, but all these plants find a way to survive in this desert climate, whatever the fuck. And he tells him, why don't you take a look at that plant over there? And, and Billy D. Williams is like, what the fuck? Why do I want to look at plants? We're here for to get paid. He's like, just look at that plant. Just take a look. And he has an envelope with his money. Billy D. mentions that maybe he owes him a little bit more because now he's seen what he can do. So basically, Billy D. Williams capturing those guys and, and even killing some of them, I guess he was paid off to do that? Which is kind of crazy because he had to time that kind of perfectly. He had to make sure to get the job, get there just on t- just in time for that courtroom uh, session to happen, and then get to the scene just before they escape, and then arrest them and kill. I don't know. It's very confusing. I'm like, man, that's kind of weird. He kind of had to depend on a lot of random variables for that to work out. Maybe I'm missing something, but and I guess he had already talked to Vic Morrow about him working. With- with him i don't know it's weird uh, whatever we the the fact of the matter is we learned that he's a crooked cop that's working with victor manso who is running some sort of organized crime in paloma but we don't really know uh quite yet what he's doing then all of a sudden he gets mad that billy d williams asked for more money and he has like a fucking mini heart attack and he holds his chest and he does that classic movie thing where he just takes some pills and all of a sudden it makes him feel better i'm like that is not how pills just because you take 10 pills doesn't mean it hits you faster so it has to go to your digestive system get into your bloodstream it's gonna take some time 
But no, he of course just recovers. And Billy D. Williams asks him for six months in advance, like he wants a good chunk of change, basically. And Manso all of a sudden brings up this partner of his, uh, of Billy D. Williams, whose name was Costello. Um, no, not George. And he used to be Billy D. Williams's partner. Oh, that was Costanza. <laughs> Wait. Oh, Elvis Costello. Oh, okay. Sorry. Let me reverse that. No, not the guitarist slash singer-songwriter. <laughs> Why did I think it was George Costello, not George Costanza? Damn it, it completely ruined that joke. Anyway, uh, Manson, Manson, Manso mentions Costello, and apparently Costello was a crooked cop, um, and he was taking a little money from like a call girl operation that they had going on at the precinct. And San Francisco, I guess. And he got away with it, but his locker was next to Billy D. Williams's. So Billy D. for some reason got investigated for it. And they tried to lay it on him, and he got some dirt on his record. And from there, that's when he decided, you know what, I'm just going to get on the take. Like, if people are going to convince, you know, if people are going to think I'm a crooked cop, I guess I'll just be a crooked cop, which kind of makes no fucking sense, but whatever. Um, he just decided to do that. And so then Manso also mentions Dr. Nancy Edmondson, who is the woman that he had spoke to earlier, because they never even mentioned her fucking name. Maybe he mentions it when he gets there that he's looking for her, but you, Billy D just says stuff under his breath and shit in this movie. You can hardly hear him. So Nancy is the name of that woman that he said, you're so pretty. And Manso mentions he has a perfect setup in Paloma, and he tells Billy D. Williams, don't fucking blow it for me. So we know what's going on here. And soon after that, we find out that Captain Dolik is also working for for a uh, man. So, so they have several. They have two. They had already had a crooked cop in there. And even Captain Dolik's like, hey, well, what's he doing here? Like, what's he doing? What's he going to do for you that I can't do? And he tries to tell him, like, y'all should be more interested in working together, not so much working separately or being competitive about it. Like, we're all doing the same thing. We're all getting paid. I think Billy D. Williams even tells him something like, um, don't be upset just because we're on the same tit. Which kind of doesn't make sense because I'm like, I'm sorry, but it would bother me if I was sucking a titty and some other dude tried to, like, share it with me. I'm like, no, we don't share a titty, dude. No. You get the left one, I'll get the right, or vice versa. You don't try to suckle a titty while I'm suckling a titty. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so then Billy D calls a dude named Oscar, and he looks exactly what you would think a guy named Oscar would look like. He's just like a little round, little short fuck. Who? <laughs> I'm sorry for skinny tall Oscars out there. But for you little short round fuck Oscars, you know what I'm talking about. And <laughs> he's over there in San Francisco. And basically he's Billy D's money guy. He's like his money laundering little fuck that like gets his money and he goes over to him and finds where to put his money and get it cleaned up and everything. So and he's like a penny pinching little hoe too, so he Basically tells Billy D. Williams, like, well, if I'm going to come from San Francisco to Paloma, this bus fare is going to cost this much. It's going to cost this much for room and board. And so he's like just making sure that that's all included in the pay that he gets for laundering the money because they obviously he gets a percentage. It's really, really funny. This guy's actually really good because he looks exactly like the kind of guy that would be doing this. Oh, man, this beer's good. Hmm. I will Betty. So then, from there, uh, Terrence Sneed. <laughs> I just feel like saying his name. <laughs> or Billy D. Williams. He wants to see this small-time criminal for some reason. I guess he's trying to do his job or something. I don't know, because this guy really doesn't have anything to do with anything. other than I guess he wants to see if he can use this guy. For something. His name is Danny James. Another first two names kind of guy. And Dolik kind of forces himself into the investigation. Dolik's like, oh, you know, like, I'll go with you. And Billy D's like, no, I got it. And he's like, no, I'll go with you. 
Obviously, it's because he wants to watch what he's trying to do. Because Dolik's been on the take a lot longer. And Billy D. Williams is just this random new guy that's come in and, and on the take. So, Danny James is played by Frankie Avalon. Gotta love him. No Venus. Does he sing that song? <laughs> Hold on. Venus song. Uh, let me see. I'm gonna just keep all this in, so enjoy. Just enjoy. I, I like using goo. Yeah, Frankie Avalon did sing Venus. Venus, if you will, please send a little girl for me to. Ooh, that sounds really creepy. Uh, <laughs> please send a little girl for me to thrill. Jesus Christ! I what? How did they get away with singing this kind of shit back then? Like, is it just because it sounded so sweet and cute? Venus, if you will, please send a little girl for me to thrill. <sighs> anyway, this makes me feel better about what happens to Frankie Avalon in this movie. Uh, <laughs> he, um, uh, Frankie Avalon is our daddy James. He's They find him at this kind of like, it looks like a condo place or a hotel. I don't know what it is. It looks more like a condo place, and he's in the pool, but he goes underwater when he sees the cops because he recognizes Dolik. And he tries to shoot them through his door because, like, he's able to kind of, like, basically they're, like, coming through around the pool, but they got to go to his front door. So he goes through his sliding door, which is kind of weird. I mean, if the cops should have just gone through a sliding door, but I don't know. I guess they were trying to follow standard procedure. And knock on the front door. But he shoots at the front door, but Billy D. Williams crashes through it, tackles him down, and kind of fucks him up a little bit. They bring him in for questioning. It's also like a weird scene because there's a chick inside um, Frankie Avalon's room. And like, Dolik is kind of like, you go ahead and take uh, Danny James to the precinct. I'm going to stay here and ask her some questions. I'm like, ew, what is he going to do? Like, I don't know. It's very weird. The way it cut just was like, what is he going to do to that lady? So they take he takes Danny James in, and Billy D. Williams starts like doing this thing where he starts like he they're they're in like the questioning interrogation room or whatever, and Frankie Avalon's trying to act tough. He's like, you ain't gonna get nothing from me. I don't know. I don't know what you're expecting. I, I ain't gonna talk about nothing. I ain't telling nobody nothing. But then Billy D. Williams starts to like, he takes his jacket off, he folds it nicely, like real slow, like takes his watch off, places it over his blazer, starts unbuttoning his, his uh, you know, his sleeve and start folding it up to his elbow. He does the other one real slow. And Frankie Evelyn's like, hey, what are you doing? You know, they, you don't get away with this shit anymore. Like, you can't just get this shit. You can't just get away with this bullshit. And then Billy Dee, like, picks him up and throws him against the corner of the room and tells him, like, I don't give a fuck. I'll beat your ass right now, and then the captain will make me release you for beating your ass, and I'll just do it all over again and again and again and again. And then all of a sudden, like, Frankie Avalon just starts crying. <laughs> like, he hasn't even hit him yet. He hasn't done anything to him. He just starts crying. It's like, don't hurt me, man. Don't fucking do it. And he talks about how he got his ass kicked, I guess, when he was younger by a cop. So he has, like, PTSD from it. So the idea of a cop hurting him just makes him, like, fucking melt and just start crying and shit. And he agrees to basically be, like, his his um, his little personal informant. So now he has a little informant. And the movie kind of goes on from there. You know, he, uh, he kind of helps him, like, figure out. I think he gives him a name of, of some guy that is is buying drugs, like you know, because they're kind of figuring that it's a drug kind, uh, a drug type syndicate going on, like organized crime that it's around drugs. So they're like trying to figure out who's buying the drugs, like where's it coming from. And Frankie Avalon gives uh, gives him a name, and the name of the guy is Zeno Elliot. Only something that would be in a book. <laughs> Who the fuck is named Zeno? And and uh, Billy D. Williams is able to like kind of like scare him into giving him more information beyond that. And um, um, he gets his old address. He gets Zeno Elliot's address, and he goes with um, 
one of the detectives that we've kind of seen here and there, but he hasn't really had many lines, but his name's John Tallbear. And he's obviously supposed to be like of native descent from New Mexico. Um, they named him Tall Bear. He's, he doesn't seem, he seems like very average size. He's like average bear. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, Jesus. So then uh, Billy D and Tall Bear, uh, they tackle a dude. Uh, who's entering the house of Zeno Elliot. And then they they tackle him and they find the it's, uh, like a little baggie of it looks like cocaina, I'm not sure, but they they, they find a little baggie of drugs in his pant leg. So they bring Elliot in, because obviously he's the one buying the drugs. And bring him to the precinct and there's this whole like weird sequence where Billy D. Williams forces his this he's a rotund man. He's a he's big and um, it's kind of sad because he keeps telling the man, he tell cause the man is wearing, uh, Zeno Elliott's wearing like a, it almost kind of looks like a, what do you call those shit? I don't even, I can't remember the fucking name of them, but those like Asian type, like Asian inspired robes. Jeez. I know y'all know what they are, but they're like have big sleeves and they're very like satin. Like he's wearing something. Oh, I think it's kimono. I think that's what it's called, but he's kind of wearing something that kind of looks like that. So it's it's like a it's just like a big robe. Like he's not wearing like regular, um, just like jeans and a shirt or anything. And Billy D. Williams tells him to take off, take it off. He's like, undress, please. And he's like, no, I don't want to undress. And he's like, undress, please. And he starts yelling at him. And Zeno Williams, I mean Zeno Williams, Z- Zeno Elliot is like. I, you know, I've always been a bigger person and I've never been comfortable with undressing in front of people because, like, there's, like, pretty much all of the squad is there watching. And they eventually make a, he does take off his, his robe. And so he's, he's just a big naked <laughs> dude. And Billy D. Williams makes him do jumping jacks. Then he throws a little bag. Then Billy D. Williams throws, like, a little baggie down that has the drugs. He's like, oh, look what fell out of him. But obviously it did it because Billy D. Williams do that little bit. It's just the whole thing. But then eventually, uh, Zeno Elliot gives the name. He gives the name of who gave him the drugs or whatever. And the captain sees this and he eventually calls. He tells him to call that, like, stop doing that shit. Um, because they're basically humili- humiliating this grown-ass man. Then Dolik comes in and talks to Billy D. And he tells him that Manso said that um, this... Zeno Elliot guy needs to be released. I guess he's like a constituent of Manso. And Billy D's like, he basically mentions like, look, I'm not going to release this guy. Like, I got to do my job as well. I can't just, you know, be be a crooked cop all the time. And when Dolik tries to fight back, he kind of does, you know, Billy D. Williams does mention like he knows, uh, I didn't mention this, but he had his money launderer guy actually follow Dolik to see what he does with his money. And so he mentions that he knows who his money launderer is, and Dolik immediately backs off. And it's kind of a scary moment because Dolik calls him a black son of a bitch. And let's face it, I, I thought Dolik was going to say something way worse than that. I was like, please, movie, don't do this. And because uh, Dolik just looks like a son of a bitch that might say something really horrible uh, to Billy D. Williams' character. And luckily he doesn't, uh, and um, he kind of looks like, yeah, man, he just looks like he's pissed. He's just super pissed at the fact fact that Billy D. Williams looked into what he does. You know that he didn't trust him, and he immediately started looking into into the into what he does with his money and all that. So then Billy D. Williams meets up with Manso, and he mentions that he got a call from Dolik, and. Billy D. Williams mentions, oh, yeah, I kind of gave Dolik a bad time, you know, because he tried to tell me about, you know, he gave me a shit time about the Zeno Elliott guy. And then this is, like, probably one of the dopest scenes in the movie where Manso hears, like, a diamondback in the in the desert or whatever. And this is where he's wearing, wearing that pastel yellow button-up with the slacks. And then he's, like, fuck, he fucks with this little snake. He's like, you know what, I'm going to move the snake out of, the, out of my area. These little diamondbacks come through and... I got to take him out of my property. So he kind of like brushes him off. But while he's doing that, uh, Manso's guys come up and they rough up Billy D. Williams. They beat the shit out of him for his insubordination. It's kind of crazy. It's it, it's like the one time where you see like Billy D. Williams like weak because he's pretty much just whooping ass the whole movie. 
Not really fighting, though. Like, I don't think he really fights in this. A little bit. There's, like, a little bit where he fights. But for the most part, he's just kind of shooting people and stuff. But anyway, they still gives... He still pays... Manso still pays him because he's still doing his job. And he likes what he does. But he just kind of wanted to give him a little message. Like, hey, next time you, you start feeling a little a little frisky, I'm going to fuck you up. So, he... um, I don't know about frisky, but... <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> you start feeling like a little like you want to fucking go against the grain. So from there, and also we meet this like crazy guy. I forget this guy's name, but he's like Manso's right hand man. I think it's um, Ben Ben uh, Benedetto. I think it's Benedetto. He's Manso's right hand man, and he's the one that kind of does a lot of the. He's this tough guy or whatever. You know, he's the one that does all that shit. And they drop him off at Nancy's place, and Nancy patches him up. I don't know why in my head I was like, oh, this must be where they make up, and they, they're probably going to be like a sex scene here. Nope. He wakes up in her bed, and he says, and she says, all right, got to go to work. Bye. <laughs> she just leaves him there. <laughs> um, and we find out that he actually got paid $5,000. He got like a little bonus, I guess, for that last job, and uh, Manso gave him five k. That's crazy. That's pretty damn good, especially for 1974. Like, damn. So she heads out, and uh, Billy D. Williams is there. And then we cut to him talking to Oscar, and Oscar's, like, dealing with the money. And Oscar tells him, look, in order for me to launder your money properly, you need you need to get a, you need to make another $10,000. So that becomes a thing. Uh, we, find about, we find out that Oscar's going to be going to this um, Man of the Year banquet for, I guess, for Paloma. And the guy that's getting it is Victor Manso. So he's going to get the man of the year. Then we have like this strangest cut to a scene I've seen in a while where from there, from that scene, they're like in a construction site or something. From that scene, we cut to a guy, some guy just getting decked in the head with the butt of a gun. <laughs> it's weird. He's like, yeah, I'm going to go to this man of the year banquet. And then cut. Boom! A guy just gets hit in the head with the butt of a gun in a house. And you're like, what the fuck? It's like a, I missed part of the movie or some shit. And uh, it turns out it's Billy D. Williams and, and Tall Bear. Uh, medium-sized bear. And not sure... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they mentioned they were going to be doing this or anything, but they they start going through the files and shit in the house. It turns out this is actually Manso's house. And Manso arrives in the from the banquet, and he's all fucked up. I don't know if he's drunk, and also he can't breathe because of his heart's all fucked up. But anyway, he's all shitty. And uh, from there, they're able to sneak out because the guy that they hit with the butt of the gun wakes up and creates like a ruckus, and they're able to sneak through. Then it's funny because then it's like the next the next morning or the next day, and Manso meets up with Billy D. Williams, and he's so mad because he knows that somebody broke into his house. And he's like, I know it was you. <laughs> you were the son of a bitch that broke into my house. But at the same time, he doesn't want to fucking kill Billy D. Williams because he knows he's so useful. And he tells he tells uh, Billy D. Williams tells Manso, like, look, the chief wants to put me in charge of a strike force division to stop the organized crime and all that. And that's going to be helpful for you because I'll make sure to avoid you or whatever. So Manso lets him live, even though um, his, like, main you know, fucking henchman guy wants to just kill Billy D. Williams. So, yeah. So then Billy D. Williams convinces the chief to allow him to uh, uh, lead that task force or whatever and stake out Manso's activities and his locations. And we get this, like, observation where, like, the stakeout, basically, where they're in this, like, fucking hot box. I'm, I just thought about that, like, being in New Mexico and having to, like, do, like, some investigation like that, and you're just, like... Especially back in the eighties, um, and, and you're just having to stake out like fuck that shit. Like they're basically cooking in this like little metal tin box, and eventually they do see that Manso's there um, with some muscle at the this little dock. It, Manso apparently works for like a paper goods company. I don't know if they make, I guess they make napkins and paper plates and shit and toilet paper. I don't know. It's just paper goods um, because we do see like they, um, a truck goes, a, like a big van takes off and they send the cops after that van. 
and the <laughs> the fucking cops like and uh it's, it's the cops with billy d williams and tall bear i think are chasing after the van and they run the van they have no evidence that this van has drugs they just know it's coming from manso's factory or whatever or warehouse they have no evidence at all but they still chase this fucking van and they chase it off a bridge and both drivers die and they don't find any drugs on the van like that is so fucked up shit like those guys could have not even known about the organization they're just two guys that happen to work for the paper company and they're like they don't know that their ceo is like a fucking asshole who's like doing something with you know organized crime but they kill those two guys but then manzo sends another van out so it turns out that this is like a shell game or whatever. I don't know. That's what the I don't know. I've never said that ever before in my life. But that's what the chief says. It's a shell game. <laughs> so, <laughs> so second van comes out. I'm sure some of y'all are like, yeah, dude, it's a shell game. I I don't know. So, uh, you know, they they send a second van out and they go after that van, and that van doesn't have shit in it. Then there's a third one. Three times a charm, baby. Then the van hits out, and it turns out that that third van is the one because it has that fucking uh, Benedici guy that I said or whatever. <laughs> Bene whatever. And uh, for some reason, this is it's, it's just a van. It's like a small little van, but for some reason, it beats the shit out of fucking Billy D. Williams' car. He's just in a regular cop car. And they're able to, like kind of turn him around for a second but eventually he does catch up and they, we do have like a by the way we have the a patrol car that is also chasing the van and there's that it's, it does that weird thing where like it's moving fast along the van but then it kind of runs into someone like a desert like a light like a little desert cliff or whatever like a little there's like a little cliff off the highway and you see it going fast but then it cuts and the car is still it's not moving anymore and it explodes <laughs> they try to do it to where it's like you're supposed to see the motion of the vehicle and burn like blowing up but it's just too weird like what the the car just stopped even though it was going full speed into a cliff but anyway it explodes it's decent it's not bad it's maybe the only explosion in the movie or the only good one i could think of and eventually they're able to bring the van to a stop. It, like, goes into, like, some water or something. Um, it's like a, I don't know, some water runoff or some shit. And that guy, Benedette or whatever his name is, comes out. He's the one that beat the shit out of Billy D. Williams earlier in the movie. So Billy D. beats the shit out of him as payback. And Tall Bear even asks, like, dude, what the hell was that? Like, <laughs> who the hell was that guy? So then I think that's when... That that's when later on in the movie, I think that's when Paul that's when Paul Bear, <laughs> Tall Bear, not Paul Bear. <laughs> I think that's when he realized that would be funny if Paul Bear from uh, the Undertaker guy was in this movie instead as a cop, <laughs> but it's not. It's just a good-looking Native American man, and uh, it turns out that Manso isn't in narcotics. He's actually counterfeiting stuff like passports and money and shit because he's got a paper company. So it makes sense. So now Manso wants to put a hit on on, on Billy D. Williams, but it, his friend, like, or his, you know, guy, I don't know, his advisor, his guy, his advisor tells him, like, ah, I think that would be a bad idea because if you do a mob hit, then they might involve the feds because you killed a cop and this and that. So he's like, fine, whatever. So then Manzo's main, that main guy, Benedito, whatever, he uh, convinces Billy D to take a bribe to water down the charges, um, for the for what was you know for the, the for the arrest. And Billy D's like, fine, I'll water down the charges if you pay me ten thousand dollars because that's what he needs to launder the money. So then, so they agree. Um, Dolik tries to. Tell the chief that Billy D. Williams is on the cut on the take, and so he's like he's just kind of being a piece of shit. And the the chief calls in one of the one of the detectives because he wants to talk to him, but we don't really know what he talks to him about. Then Billy D. meets up with Oscar and like in in the bar, 
And Oscar has the laundered money now that he gave him the 10K. Benedito comes in, uh, grabs a drink, and then Bill, uh, Billy D heads to the restroom, and so does uh, Benedito. Oh, actually, no, this is where the money's exchanged. It's not. It's not before that. I guess he meets with Oscar. Oh, okay, okay, that's what happens. Okay, so he meets with he meets with Oscar to to change out the money because what happens is Benedito pays him the 10k, right? Gives him the money. Then Tall Bear comes up to Billy D. Williams outside the bar and tells him that the chief wants to see him. So they come up to him and they find all the cash in his in the suit jacket of Billy D. Williams, and it has it has the money. But we also see that Oscar went in and changed out the money. So that's why Billy D. Williams is like cool as a fucking cucumber, right? He's like saying that all oh, that money I'm just I w- that was just money that I had that I was going to be investing or whatever. So then from there. Uh, it's maybe the most random part in the film, but uh, medium-sized bear is driving Benedito or Amaretto, whatever his name is, to the precinct, and he just pulls over and he shoots him in the face. <laughs> no, nothing. Like just shoots him in the face. Benedito is dead, and we get back to the precinct and they're asking Billy D. Williams where he got the money from, and blah blah blah. And he's like, "It's not from Benedito. I did not get the money from Benedito." And the chief is like, dude, you're a $15,000 a year cop. He makes $15,000, one five <laughs> as a cop. And then he sees, he's like, and you have $10,000 in cash on you. What am I supposed to think? <laughs> Which, it's a good point from the chief. So then Dolan comes through and he tries to question Billy D. Williams. Then Average Size Bear calls the chief on the phone and he tells the chief that um, Benedito tried to grab his gun and... They wrestled, and he ended up shooting him, so he made up some bullshit. So then Billy D. Williams stands up, and he asks um, if he can go pick up Manso, and the chief allows him to head out. So then the chief gives him back his gun and tells him, look, I still need you, but I'm going to keep an eye on you because uh, you had $10,000 out of nowhere, so obviously you're doing something fucked up. Then Billy D. goes back and talks to Manso and lets him know that um, – that he's being taken in or whatever, or what what he's being taken in for. And Manso just doesn't give a shit, man. He's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm fucking untouchable. I'm the shit. You know, I'll just be out anyway. It's not a big deal. Um, So it continues. He continues to be on the take. Then Oscar takes off. And he... I think um, there's a little scene there where Billy D. Williams calls Nancy and she still doesn't want to talk to him. So nothing happens there. <laughs> She's like, oh, you're still the same piece of shit from earlier in the movie and you haven't changed at all or learned anything? Cool, 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 cool. I don't want to talk to you. So great love romance in this movie. Great. It's good to see <laughs> that the writers really worked that in. Then Average Size Bear comes through. And he's he's dressed nice, you know. He's looking sharp as hell. And he tells he kind of tells Billy D. Williams like, "Look, you owe me for what I did." Because I think he figured that he figured that Billy D. Williams was on was on the take. I don't know if it was when he beat up Benedetto or what the fuck, but he just figured out he was on the take. So he knew that if he just killed Benedetto, that basically Billy D. Williams would owe him for that money wise. So he tells he tells uh, Billy D like he wants to take fifty percent of whatever Billy D Williams is making, and then Billy D Williams lets Average Size Bear know, well I've just been promoted to captain, so that won't be happening because I'm your boss. So suck it, you get um, you know five percent of my earnings and some Arby's coupons. Enjoy yourself, Average Size Bear. That's not really what happens at the end of the movie. Just he just says, "I'm your captain now," and then they walk out, and the movie's over. That is the take from 1974. I don't know if any of y'all followed that. I barely did. It's just about a crooked cop who doesn't say many words <laughs> and some good music, pretty much. Anyway, as you know, I do like to do a little quick impression of the movies that I cover, and I have a feeling you know what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> and honestly, I don't remember. <laughs> Cause it's, I feel like I feel like it's been a month since I saw this movie. I saw it like two days ago. Uh, anyway, this is a segment I like to call uh, Quick Impressions. 
quick impressions. Say, um, I need you, you son of a bitch. I need what you know, what you can do. I hope you like that. <laughs> that is the quick impression segment of the show. And as a lot of you know as well, I like to rate these movies by my favorite mustaches. Um, I hope to God this isn't the first Mustachio Podcastio episode that anyone's ever heard. Because more than likely they didn't get this far. But, uh, you know, I got the... the <laughs> I'm all like, I don't know. You got, I got the full Full Manchu recommendation for hell yeah. The Walrus Mustache recommendation for pretty fucking good. The Horseshoe Mustache for, eh, not bad. And, of course, the Dreaded Hitler Mustache for please burn this movie in hell and what would i give this movie uh 1974's the take um i haven't thought about it until right now i gotta give this top tier horseshoe mustache i i i can't give it anything above that i think it's a decent watch it's not a it's not a really long movie the the soundtrack is good I actually think Billy Dee Williams does a pretty good job with what he had going on. Like, they didn't really give him a lot to do. He's kind of a very much a, um, I can't think of the words right now, but he, he's not a multi-dimensional character. Oh, I, that's the word I was looking for. He's a very one-dimensional character. <laughs> I like that my brain thought of multi-dimensional when I was trying to think of one-dimensional. He's a very one-dimensional character. He just kind of comes in. He's a silent character. You know, badass kind of guy. Um, they could have done a little bit more with him and Nancy. They didn't ever even go into, like, how they knew each other. We have no idea how she knows him. It almost feels like you maybe need to read the book. <laughs> I don't know. But there's just not a lot of depth in this movie. It's a guy who's a crooked cop. He does crooked cop shit. He kind of tries to be a decent cop so you don't completely hate him. But you still know he's a crooked cop, so like, fuck this guy, right? But then he still in the end ends up making his money and I guess is still working for this thing. Like, he doesn't really learn a lesson at all. It, if anything, it's like, oh, this is <laughs> Terrence Sneed, the best crooked cop in the world. He can do whatever he wants and still keep his job. <laughs> Even if he's kind of almost caught red-handed. A guy had $10,000. In his pocket. Uh, so I think it's. it's. I don't know if this movie is beloved or not. I really didn't look that much into it. But personally. It was tough talking about it. I was going to bring someone in to talk with me about this movie. And I just didn't feel like. I didn't want to bring anyone into it. Because I feel like it's kind of not. That fun to watch. You know. So I, did, I just didn't want to put any guests through this. So I decided to just make this a solo cello. So I hope you all enjoyed it. Anyway, <laughs> as you know, uh, I, I say as you know a lot. I apologize, but it's just because I feel like I repeat myself all the time. But I do have, I do, you know, do have an Instagram for the Mustachio Podcastio. It is at Mustachio Podcastio, M-O-U-S-T-A-S-H-I-O. Don't forget that. And we're also on Twitter at mpodcastio. Um, there is a Facebook, but I don't think I've even looked at that thing in fucking months months and months and months but maybe i'll start posting on there again i doubt it um and also there's a discord uh you can go on the link tree in the instagram or the twitter and there's a little discord button click on that and subscribe to the discord i haven't been getting in there often but you know what this new year 2022 i'm gonna pop in there more and comment more and converse with my buddies it's really just a few of us in that discord nobody likes this show except for my weirdo friends that uh still happen to be uh allowing me to be in their ear holes a little bit thank you i hope you enjoy um what i do to your ear holes <laughs> i'm tired anyway y'all have a great one bye